You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Perth Property Show. My name is Trent Fleskins, your host. As always, welcome to another week of fantastic information from some of the best experts in Western Australia. We're in the middle of August. It has not stopped raining for weeks and weeks and weeks. And the interesting thing about our market is that whilst we've had continued transaction numbers throughout Perth, very stable around the 900 transactions per week, growth has actually subdued for the last couple of months. And we're going to have a chat today with Perth's best high-end luxury valuer, very well known within the industry. It is Cameron Kane from CBRE to really get to the bottom of what's going on, not only in the broader market because uh, his space focuses on the luxury, but most specifically, as I always say, the smart money moves first, get an on-the-ground understanding of how the market has been going over the last year and where he thinks it's going. Cam, thanks very much for coming in today. Yeah, thanks for having me and uh, thanks for the... uh well, for talking me up there, mate. Very, very much appreciated. <laughs> no worries. So, look, again, just a little bit of background for everyone listening. Cam Kane is pretty much the go-to man when it comes to valuations in the western suburbs. I've known about him for a long time. He's valued a few of the properties I've purchased in that area. He's valued a few of the properties that my clients have purchased. Uh, and more importantly, whenever I talk to a bank about who they would be going to to value their property, Cam's name always comes up, which is a really good pat on the back. I think for you, obviously, building that name and reputation is someone people can trust in the industry. I suppose it all comes down to specialising in certain areas. So, you know, I'm fortunate enough to look after about seven or eight suburbs in North Fremantle, Mosman Park, Cottesloe, Swanbourne, Claremont, Delkeith, Nedlands, Mount Claremont, and then probably about as north as City Beach. So, the Golden Triangle. Yeah, I like to call it the triangle within the triangle. Yeah, very <laughs> true. And do you live in the area? Yeah, I live in Claremont. Right in the heart of it. Well, yeah, near the showground, so the rough side. <laughs> <laughs> what does it take to be the go-to man in an area, let alone the most affluent part uh, of Perth as a valuer? Uh, yeah. You're not a sales agent. You know, you don't come from that background. You are the independent voice on valuations in that area. Be as objective as possible. We just go off exactly what's happening off the facts you know we haven't really gotten an interest in what a property sells for well a vested interest we are just analyzing data and so yeah the way we look at it is just try and keep as up to date as possible so you know i just got back from an auction in swanbourne so, how'd it go uh yeah it went well it was through shellabeers really prime corner site right on the hill near allen park 700 square meter r15 site so single residential yeah really prime property for bidders and they push it up to about 2.75 million so sold on the day what time what would that price have been a year ago do you think it's a really good question so that sale price is equivalent to about four thousand a square meter and I would have said you could have picked that up for uh, about 3,000 a square metre 18 months ago. So it would have been closer to $2 million. So you're looking at it for that property as an example, probably you know 25 to 30% growth during the past 12 to 18 months. Does that reflect the whole of that western suburbs area? Absolutely. The way I like to describe the growth patterns of the western suburbs is I like to say Cottesloe is pretty much the epicentre of whatever you like to call this growth phase or boom and from there it spreads. So Cottesloe, it's about 
up 30% as an average over the last 12 to 18 months. There are examples of properties selling as high as achieving, say, a 60% growth. So a property, not not in 12 months, but during that sort of flat period we had through 16, 17, 18. Um, Cottesloe was the suburb that started to move first before any, didn't it? A- a- absolutely. And then yeah. it's that classic sort of ripple effect. So yep. Cottesloe's had the strongest growth and then it's just rippled out through Swanbourne, Mosman Park, Claremont, and then in my area, the last to fall have sort of been Nedlands and Delkeith. So, you know, there's various reasons for that. You know, I like to think Cottesloe is our equivalent of Bondi. Some people obviously love the ocean and that lifestyle. Some people just chasing the address where it's Cottesloe or bust, where they're, they're saying, look, whatever it takes to get into the suburb, we're willing to pay. Where you've got other buyers who want to get into Cottesloe and they have, say, a budget of $3 million dollars, and they go in there and realise the only thing they can get is a partly renovated... Just tree. doesn't suit the lifestyle. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, I think they're looking at value. So Cottesloe's jumps so far it's hard to justify of the yeah. pack. Yeah, yep. where you can go, well, should I go in there with $3 million and buy a renovated California bungalow on 600 square metres for three mil? You could buy anything in Netherlands for three mil. Exactly. So there's that real trade-off. And I've had clients in a similar position where there's such a gap now where why don't I jump back into Mosman Park with three mil and get a near new two-storey home on you know six or 700 square metres. So there's that real trade-off. So Cottesloe has definitely led the pack. and It's an interesting history there because Cottesloe didn't always have that top mantle did it it wasn't always the epicenter of growth and i've been saying for quite a few years on this podcast that cottesloe and Fremantle for me are the two suburbs that are the epicenter they're the smart money that's where it all starts the new phase of growth and retraction they start from those two suburbs and take a few years to ripple out right to the end of the pack didn't used to always be cottesloe then when you think back 30 40 years ago dalkeith really was the top of the pops What's happened? Yeah. What's changed it from Nedlands and Dalkeith being the top to now more Swanbourne and Cottesloe plant being the place to be? I think COVID's had definitely an impact on that where people have returned from big international cities and they've seen the lifestyle Cottesloe has and obviously that's the ocean. I mean, that's been just a massive pull. Because a lot of the buyers have been expats, sight unseen, Facebook video, bang. Absolutely. And there is a bit of that herd mentality. I mean, the herd is going to Cottesloe. And I suppose you've asked the reason why that is compared to Delkeith, because 20 years ago, those buyers, probably their first option was Delkeith. You think now, about the WA Inks era, you know, your bonds, all these people who are just, you know, the, the richest people in Perth. Yeah. They wanted a Jutland Parade or a Victoria Ave address. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose you could say it's old money versus new money, mm. like all the old school money is probably on Jutland Parade. They're a different demographic where the younger new money want the coast whether it's city beach swanbourne cottesloe that's where it's headed to and i suppose delkeith and pavement grove are traditionally really private suburbs like they're big land holdings you know there's big fences big gates big mansions so if you really want that privacy and rarely traded yeah so if you drive around delkeith this afternoon you'll see not a lot of activity on the streets. They're very you, quiet. You drive down Waratah, there'll be you know, a few people having coffee, whatever, but inside the suburbs, I mean, the land holdings are so big, people generally probably more entertaining at home where you go into Cottesloe and it's just, uh, you know, it's a bit of a buzz. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of people coming in, you know, just for day trips. So yeah, the, think, the coffee shops, they've got lines outside them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think people who have returned during COVID from whether it's Sydney, Melbourne, London or Hong Kong, they want some activity they want cafes they want the pubs they want 
they just want to be around people basically so mm. i think that that's definitely been a change so we all know we've seen a lot of growth across the board emanating out from Cottesloe, hitting now that netherlands area and pushing into shenton park those areas as well has it been homogenous across all the different housing types has there been 30 percent growth in owner occupied full blocks in the same way that villas have got it as well, townhouses, apartments even. I think this growth phase has sort of proven what the fundamentals are for the highest capital growth a property can achieve. And I think in the last boom we had in that 2004-2007 period, it was more just get the dartboard out and whatever you hit, whether it was an apartment, you know, a a a family home, a development site, it was a frenzy and everything was going up almost doubling in two to three years so this one's been a lot lot different and to me the property type which is achieving the highest level of growth is the family home and that's again because of covid where spending so much more time you need the space and people can't go away and and, and travel like they used to and spend time in europe and america the world so, has gotten a lot smaller yeah yeah so the all study that, the office has become important yeah, again whereas absolutely. we were moving away from that 10 years ago yeah and i think yeah we've proven that we can work from home so we've really needed that space so to me that's where probably all the growth has been. And there's some really good examples where, like yesterday I valued a house in Netherlands and they'd you know, paid mid ones for it 2017 and now it's pushed into the low twos and they haven't really done a lot to it. So, mm. you know, it's significant growth. Then I had an apartment yesterday in Netherlands and they bought it in 2016 for 725 and it's just gone under offer for 735 so it's pretty much a break even mm. scenario we um, see that a lot in apartments though and you know it's great to be able to talk to a valuer about this for me i'm not a massive fan of apartments and villas as long-term investments because there's no land content or minimal land content and because these products because there's so much supply coming on all the time from developers they're often easily superseded like a car do you see the same thing? You, uh, you might see a brand new apartment these days of that quality next door might be going for eight fifty nine hundred, but yeah. that that second hand one really hasn't grown because it's now superseded. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, there's some examples whereby, which is very unique, where a property has sold off the plan during a really well during our last boom, and I don't think it'll ever catch up to that sale price again. So it's just consistently depreciated. That was a very unique situation. But if you look at a really high growth area like Swanbourne, presently there's about five family homes for sale in Swanbourne. Crazy. And they're under huge demand and there's 10 apartments. So there's essentially twice as many apartments for sale in Swanbourne. And those apartments, what they sold for back in 2016-17, they're just achieving today. These are ARIA apartments? Some are in ARIA. So, you know, there's been really no capital no growth, growth. If but you'd... in the, you know the, the product next door the house oh well you've just said has gone up 25 30 percent in a year yeah so if you had a board in at the bottom of the market let's say in 2017 in swanbourne it could be at least 25 maybe 30 maybe 35 percent up so to me as an investment into the western suburbs the bigger the land holding the highest growth and as you shrink that back into you know a townhouse to a villa to an apartment that growth rate just minimalizes exactly and and the reason for that really is very it's very obvious right is that the value you're paying on three million dollars on a full block for a piece of land with a house on it's probably two mil for the land one mil for the house if you're paying three mil for a half block with a brand new house on it well it's probably 1.5 mil or 1.2 mil for the land and the balance being for the house and the point is 
land appreciates. That's why we pay land tax. Houses, just by the nature of the fact that they're a product, depreciate because they get used and lower in quality over time. That's why we get yeah. depreciation reports. Yeah. And yeah. so the larger percentage of the land in the purchase price, the larger opportunity you'll always have for growth. If you buy a brand new house where a bigger percentage of that purchase price is clearly the, the build price, well, there's less opportunity for you to have quantum of growth in the land portion. Yeah, absolutely. Turn that into an apartment. You know, there's not a lot of land yeah. portion in that at all. Yeah, definitely. And the the apartments will keep coming, you know, with the rezoning. So it's just that supply versus demand. It's pretty hard to replicate a 900 square meter block in Cottesloe, but the apartments supply is always there. Have you been surprised by the level of growth or are you surprised by the fact it didn't happen a couple of years earlier? I'm surprised by the fact that it took a global pandemic for the Perth property market to actually do something in the last 10 years. There was situations last year when COVID first hit where a lot of people thought they were doing the right thing by selling out and uh, renting for the next 12 months because they thought it was going to do the opposite. They thought we'll sell high, buy low. Exactly. And after about six months, they thought this is a really bad decision, (laughs) cancelled their lease and bought back in. So yeah, it's been a long, tough time for the Perth property market. It's taken really five to six years for something to happen. COVID was definitely that trigger. The interesting thing, I guess, is that this isn't just a a Perth growth cycle. It's a national It's a global cycle. cycle. Well, it is. It is, absolutely. Asset prices across the globe really have increased by about 10, 11% reports say. Yeah. We are having a strong growth phase, but we're still really lagging behind the rest of Australia. The reports came out from CoreLogic last week. We think, oh, geez, we've had some pretty unsustainable price growth recently, right? And the reality years as a median Perth's price growth for the last 12 months was 10.8% the only state that was less than that was Melbourne with a lockdown of 10.4 Hobart 25% Canberra 22% Sydney around 20% and we're sitting here complaining about 10.8 as a median yeah well that's the reality check I guess and when Perth people complain about high house prices you really get some perspective when you go to the big cities of Sydney and Melbourne and you know, Sydney, yeah, as you said, went up by plus 20% over the previous 12 months. And that's coming off a Massively base. hot market. Yeah, yeah. It's coming off a base where you thought it was so inflated. You thought, well, you know, your median house price is already 1.1 million. It has to go down at some point. Yeah, now it it's at 1.4. Yeah. yeah. Um, We've, yeah. We're still catching up to our last boom. These guys have doubled since their boom before that. And they're still doing a 20 and we only do a 10.8. Obviously, yeah. as you're saying, in the, in the Golden Triangle, we're talking... 25 to 30 percent but that would reflect in sydney and melbourne 40 something like that if 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 they're meeting this 20 well the the higher end is probably doing 35 40 yeah yeah absolutely what does that mean in your eyes when you think relatively given the fact Mm. that we earn more than they do as an income we have the same interest rates that they do where does that leave us going forward a lot of room to grow or some questions as to why we couldn't do 20 in the last 12 months well that definitely gives us a lot of confidence to say that our values aren't inflated. Moving forward, it's just that unknown question of when the borders reopen. Are more people going to come into WA or are they going to chase that lifestyle and, you know, the big corporate work markets again, which they did the last five years? Yeah, it's a really, really difficult question to answer. But I, I have confidence going forward, particularly for those family homes which are really undersupplied at the moment. I can't see that slowing at all. Family homes are going to continue to be undersupplied in the first 30 kilometres of the city. There is no fix for it. Our planning system is so knackered with red tape 
that having existing properties be rezoned to allow for family homes in the first place, it's it's just not going to happen. There will not be an oversupply of family homes in the first 30 k's of the city, in my opinion, for a very, very long time relative to a sustainable level of demand. Uh, on the externals of Perth, outside the 30 k's, 30 to 60 k's, there has been and will continue to be a chronic oversupply of family homes because that's mm. all they build. And that was already oversupplied with properties that people didn't need to build in the first place. Right? But in the first 30 k's of the city, it seems the only things we're replacing properties with now are median density properties, townhouses and apartments. And uh, the question I have for you is, uh, given the fact that the demographic of people in the western suburbs is getting older and will continue to get older, mm. is that the right product? Are we going to see long-term demand for all the townhouses that start coming through Netherlands, the apartments that are coming through, for example, one Subiaco, the Grove, mm. uh, all the apartment developments that have been approved in around that Stirling Highway precinct? Is that where we need to be supplying it? For me, it's a natural yes. You know, as people get older, they have to downsize and there has been no product for decades. Finally, there's these options. Do you think mm. the market will actually take it up? Yeah, well, I think it has to be the right product. So I don't think we need small one and two bedroom, 60 square meter type high rises along Stirling Highway. I think something like the Grove, which is that real top-end luxury apartment market, will work. So I think they need to be big apartments. They need to be two to three bedroom. High spec. High spec, absolutely. And I think where we've seen a lot of demand, which is just starting to happen around Netherlands, is more that townhouse or small green title lot development around this 250 square metre mark where an elderly couple can sell their quarter acre and stay in the area, but still have something really comfortable, which isn't an apartment. Yeah, it'd be an upgrade for a lot of them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And also the amenities really important. And we've seen some apartment developments in Perth and Western suburbs work really, really well, and others which probably haven't. And to me, you know, the whole reason you want to live in an apartment is about amenity. You want to be able to at least not get in your car every day, walk downstairs, have public transport, have coffee shops, just have some sort of community. It's probably the thing that lacks in the western suburbs in a lot of ways. You have a bit of a township in Cottesloe. There's a township in Claremont, especially around the Netherlands area. We're probably in a situation where you need to build it and then they come because right now where the zoning is there for the, the density but places like Broadway and Hampton, they're really not up to scratch for what we're looking to be able to provide as a walk score. You want it to be mm. a Ligon Street or something like that, and it's just not that. If you had a couple of mills sitting in the bank right now, where would you be buying? Where do you still see value, given the fact we've already had 25% growth through most of these suburbs? Is it still in yeah. the golden triangle? Are you still yeah. going, yes, this is where the strength in the market sustains itself for a long time? If yeah. it is, then where would it be? Yeah. And if it's not... Or where yeah, would it, where would yeah. you be going outside? Yeah, well, I think that whole growth ripple effect has gone from the western suburbs out into the inner north, whether Mount Hawthorne's going crazy, Leadable's going crazy, Wembley's going crazy. And I've seen a lot of buyers upgrade from those areas. So I'll get a contract and say it's Del Keith and it's a Wembley buyer. And that Wembley buyer who sold their property, there might be someone from North Perth. So they keep just jumping into that sort of upgrade scenario trying to get the most prime property they can get to answer your question well i sort of would stay in the areas which i look after because that's the sort of most knowledge i've got of course um, and that's a good lesson for everyone yeah and i'm just and it's really getting back to seeing that pecking order change so as we discussed before cottesloe went from 
say 20 years ago might have been ranked number seven and now it's probably ranked number one so that's a really red hot market which i probably wouldn't go into now a because i couldn't afford it and b two million dollars wouldn't, wouldn't get you anything <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't probably get you in there so i i probably still like netherlands i think a lot of the younger buyers have looked at it as a bit of a older demographic and certainly not as cool as Swanbourne and, and Cottesloe. I mean, even I'd, I would have thought Mosin Park, which again... Has its know, good areas bit, and its yeah, bad Yeah, it's areas. been a bit grungy in, yep. in some parts and some buyers have sort of steered clear from it. Now they just can't get enough of it. Like it is, it's red hot. And I don't think Netherlands has had the same growth. Certainly rates. not outside the R60 zone. Yeah, so you can still get a California bungalow. Might need a bit of work on a quarter acre for $2 million. You would not get a more central location if you're looking at access to the city, access to the river, access to the beach. Well, that's what I was weighing up when I purchased a couple of years ago in there for that long-term family hold. You know, yep. The per square meter rate in Netherlands is lower than North Perth and leadable and Netherlands is supposed to be one of the premier suburbs and it's also still got every single one of those factors the school zone the river the parks the esplanade uh, being in that in that location proximity to the city all that there yeah definitely and if you still you can actually believe it or not live in Netherlands and still access the beach it is possible yeah it's, it's not that far yeah, away it's a yeah. 10 minute drive so <laughs> to me if you still surf you can still live in Netherlands I think a lot of buyers now are really looking at it a lot closer than what they were relative affordability and um, and just the value you get in a market that's moving so rapidly it's really hard for a valuer I've found to be able to be on the money because valuers are generally they can only use the data that they've got right and data is always old the second it's that yesterday it's it's old data in a moving market and so you're always having to look back to look forward nearly uh, especially when you're a licensed value you got you know your balls are on the line every time that you put a valuation through how do you do it in a rising market especially one where we're not talking about a five hundred thousand dollar contract that's now five hundred and five or five ten this week things can move in you know integers of a hundred thousand bucks pretty quickly how do you have those conversations and put your balls on the line in that space? Well, our job was actually quite easy in a sense for the last five years where... Nothing was moving. Where nothing, nothing moved. So if I had to value something in, on a certain street and there was a sale from 2017, that would still be quite relevant because I would know there'd only be maybe a 5% variance. Where now, you know, something next door, if I'm buying a property, the house next door sold in 2017, it's irrelevant. I mean, the market has moved that much. And even start of August, if something had sold in March, I look at it now going, oh, that sale is probably a little bit dated. So we're sort of governed by the banks to look at sales evidence, which has occurred in the last six months. That's probably in a standard market. And then you move into a real growth phase, which we're in now, and then you probably shrink that down to three months. And then I would probably say the most relevant data are the sales which haven't settled. So no one really knows about them except for the vendor, the purchaser, the selling agent. Is that what you're doing? Are you calling the agents and saying, well, look, Steve, data hasn't come out yet officially, yeah. but I need mm. some something relevant here. What did it go for? Yeah, well, I need to have really good relationships with local agents. You build that over time and depending on the special conditions within the contract, sometimes they can't release that information, other times they can. But we're privy to a lot of contracts because we're valuing properties. The contracts are subject to finance. So At CBRE, you'd see a quarter of them all. At least. We do see a lot. And yourself specifically, you'll probably see a lot more than that because you haven't got many competitors in your space. Yeah. To answer your question, I guess I'll see something which is signed last week. You know, the auction I went to today, I mean, that's really good evidence and that's open 
to the public. Yeah, you had to do the work for that. Yeah, I mean, it's something, you know, as a value we should all do is just, you know, monitor what's going on. Because if you go to an auction, it's the perfect example of what the market's doing. You can see, you can obviously, how it. many people are there. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's going to be, you know, the neighbours and the people having a look as a bit of a sticky beat. But you can see the bidders and you, you can just feel the heat, basically. You're seeing a lot of prices now that are the highest price you've seen in five, six years. You've got to justify that. For the, you know, that first purchase over two mil late last year in Netherlands, that first sale on a certain product type in Cottesloe over four mil when everything was three mil a year ago. You surely start to get nervous and wonder, are these people overpaying for this? Has this market still got legs? Yeah, and that's, again, really important to have the relationships with the agents because to me, it's more what backup did that offer have? If that offer and it's that breakout price, let's just say that values were hanging around two and a half million, suddenly there's that sale at three and you're going, hang on a sec. That's well, a massive jump. Yeah, it's a really big jump. And then the agent might go, well, yeah, it was three, but then there's another offer on the table if this falls over at 2.975 mm-hmm. and then the next one's at 2.95 and that suddenly you go, okay, the market shifted and that as a valuer, you know, really gives me a lot of confidence that that is fair market if you relied purely on the evidence you'd be going well it's only worth 2.5 in another situation you also start to go well look the median house price in perth is starting to get back to 2012 numbers in 2012 this property actually sold for this price we can look back to that time it was nine years ago but the market is nearly parallel can you do that no because <laughs> evaluation you know we can only list sales which have recently occurred but as part of my research on the side, yeah, absolutely. And the best way to track a market is to actually watch, you know, the same property trade in different markets. I mean, you can go off meeting house prices, but they get so skewed. Oh, they're, they're worth and, nothing, but it, yeah. they reflect certain markets broadly, right? Yep. So for me personally, when I'm looking at properties and I'm looking at trying to justify purchasing a property right now, where it's the highest price it's been in five, six years, and you go, mm-hmm. oh, hang on a sec. I don't want to be that guy who's paying the highest price it's been in five or six years for this property. But then you look back a little bit further and you go to 2013, 2014 and you go, well, it sold back then for 50 grand more than what you could pay for for it today. And the markets are nearly parallel again. We're nearly coming back to that market broadly in Perth. It is a way to justify that, you know, we're still below where the market was seven years ago. Yeah, yeah. And looking at the East Coast, I mean, they're probably, you know, over 50% up from our last peak of 2014 where we're a lot of the time just at a break-even scenario and that that's interesting to look at so i suppose what i was trying to say before was looking at the same property trading in those different markets you can sort of see exactly where the market's gone so you know if you've got an old home which hasn't had any renovations you can go okay it sold in 2006 for three mil and then in 2009 it probably dipped a bit and then it might have got back up to 325 in 2014. And then it dipped again through 16, 17, 18. Started to rise a bit through maybe 19, 20. And now it might, in a really prime suburb, be 20% up from that last peak of 2014. So that to me makes a lot of sense. As you smooth the data out over time. Yeah. Yep. But if you looked at that and from 2014, if, if you were 50% up, I'd be going, gee, that's, that's there might be something wrong. Well, that's wrong what valuers that, in yeah. the East Coast have, are having to do every day and you wonder how the hell they do their job. Now, yep. we started this episode prefacing the last few months, or especially, I guess the last quarter, where we haven't seen the nominal growth across the board of Perth that we saw 
in the first quarter of this year and the last quarter of last year. Now, my first question to you is, one, why do you think that's come about? And two, has that been the case in the western suburbs or has it just been kicking on? Well, I think it has taken a little bit of a breather in the last two months. I think it just happened so quickly. I mean, the prices, essentially they went up by, let's say, 20 to 30% really in the space of six six months and that six month period was late last year through to probably the first three or four months of this year so i think with winter coming on that's traditionally quite a slow time i think everyone just went okay we just need a bit of a breather work out what's going on but values have held it's not like you know not that dropped yeah yeah so they're holding from here with that shortage particularly for family homes all indicators are coming into spring it could kick again because we do have seasonal price movements, right? It isn't just one straight linear line. Historically, winter, and especially winters like we've had, they do have a breather for a second, don't they? A lot of people decide not to put their properties on the market for starters, especially the good ones, and yeah. especially in the last couple of months. I don't know about you, yeah. but it's been pretty hard to get out to a property with all this rain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it'd be pretty hard to have an auction uh, you know, in July with the wet weather and i think just with that undersupply i mean everyone's you know really really happy with what they could achieve for their own home and they've had all this growth and they're suddenly going oh let's upgrade but you've sort of got to buy into that There's same nothing market to upgrade into yeah. yeah and then they're going oh maybe we'll sort of sit tight and that's probably been a bit of a issue with supply and then obviously the rental side is really tight as well so i think that was a real good plan b before people would sell and then they'd start looking knowing that if they haven't found something by settlement they could rent but with the rental under supply that's sort of dried up so i think that's another reason people have sat on their hands for the last six 12 months for me i've got two reasons the first one being that a lot of those people who were coming back and were quite manic and fomo about their purchase they've made their purchase now so the people that are looking to buy now, as you said, they are the more pragmatic upgraders. They're people who have taken their time to come back to Perth. Uh, they're not people who are pushed into a purchase. So they're taking a second to have a breather and go, well, geez, it has been 25 to 30% growth for a lot of these properties. I'm going to think about this for a second. More importantly, though, I think it's a very, very simple explanation is the fact that supply hasn't changed. The amount of properties on the market for the last nine months is still around 8,000. Transactions per week haven't changed. There's still about 900 transactions per week. It's been very, very steady, very predictable. Interest rates haven't changed. We're still sitting at about a 2% interest rate for most owner-occupied mortgages. The only thing that has changed specific to Perth in the last three to four months compared to nine months ago is the fact that we no longer have an extra 1,000 people a week coming home from a probably a well-off position in Hong Kong, New York, the UK, as you mentioned, who of those thousand, they need to buy on average 500 properties per week. And again, comparing that to the 900 we currently transact on, we've now only got 250 people coming in a week because of the limitations Mark McGowan's put in since our last lockdown in around March, right? So now there's 750 people less per week. So that's about 375 homes less per week that are being pressured buy those people on a weekly basis to either rent or buy into. Now, the fact is we're still have, we still have the same demand because transactions haven't dropped and supply certainly hasn't increased. So what it means to me is that we've got enough demand to sustain a market to, to keep it pushing forward relative to supply, but we haven't got that extra 375 houses worth of pressure 
adding mm. the extra couple of offers to the table that are keep pushing the prices up. And for me, that's what I can find on a very micro level. It's the only mm. difference in our market since March to now, other than the fact we've had a lot of rain. Yeah. <laughs> you notice yeah. that possibly on the look, you're not a selling yeah. agent, yeah. but there's been less offers on the table, but we're mm. still getting the prices people are asking for. It's a really good point you've made and that, you know, the planet's have pretty much all aligned that Perth should be experiencing almost a mega boom yeah. when you look at interest rates, unemployment rate, the cost of housing being the most affordable nationally, and then we're still having growth rates probably lower than the East Coast. So, you know, why why is that happening? And yeah, it is it is population growth. I mean it has to be. And so that extra pressure where, you know, we're down to say eight, eight and a half thousand properties for sale if you added that 300 or 400 extra people coming in a week, um, that would create significant pressure. And I'm sure that growth well, rate... Well, it did. It did, right? And that's why we saw the 25% growth really between September and March this year. But when the immigration numbers were 1,000 per week in that time frame, mm. it was a direct correlation. The second McGowan pulled it back to 250 a week to save our hospitals and our quarantine facility, yep. the numbers started dropping off. Yeah. Not the yep. price, but the pressure on growth. Yeah, yeah. And I think, again, it's that combination of that lower population and, again, coming into winter, I, I think that um, played a part in it. And when we do free up the borders and the economy and you would think more people are going to come into WA than leave, those growth rates could confidently say will increase again. Interest rates remain low, as the RBA says, for the next two and a half years. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of stability. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think Perth's just been now on an international scale is just you know, looked upon as Safe haven. a great place to be. Mm. And I, I can't really see all those people who came from the turmoil which was happening, you say, in Hong Kong and even in America when Trump was president. It was like, let's get back to Perth. The you can't is, see them leaving again. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't. I think They've done their dash. Yeah, I think they'd be happy. Well, I think it's been proven that you can actually still retain your job. With that in mind, I think, you know, a lot of families are going to bunker down in Perth for the long Perth term. Perth relatively. And this is what I've found, I've said this before, is that when the world is doing really well, Perth is, a, I guess, the boring place to be. We have a brain drain. It goes to Sydney and Melbourne because they're cool. It goes to New York and the UK because it's opulent and it's, you know, it's the lifestyle. The second the world gets on its knees and it all falls apart, people start getting practical again and they start realizing Perth is the safest place in the world to be. And given the fact that the world needs to nation build, they need our iron ore. And yeah. essentially, the market gets booms here. And it's the same thing that happened last time. We, we seem to work counter-cyclically in terms of our prosperity with the prosperity of the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think for a lot of these you know, families who have been away for the last 10 or 15 years, they come back to Perth and go, actually, this is pretty good. Mm. And it's grown a lot in that time frame. I mean, I... I was in Melbourne sort of in the early 2000s and I came back in 2009 and I was literally struggling to get a coffee on the weekend. On Sundays, you know, there was no, you know, re retail trade. So that's all changed. So it, ha it has moved and um, does have a lot more appeal. I, I think it's actually a pretty good balance now between, you know, lifestyle, you know, which, which you can get compared to other cities. Last question. Are you that confident in the Perth market that you think we'll be breaking through new records across most of the western suburbs over this boom, that we will mm. break new ground that will never be dropped again? Well, I think we already have in the sense that most western suburbs have surpassed the last growth cycle of you know t which peaked in 2014. So we're past that. 
I suppose the question is... How much what, further can yeah, you go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's this got in it? And that's just such an unknown with what's going on globally. And just that question of when things get slightly back to normal and borders reopen, who stays, what's left in who the, goes. In the demand. Yep. And I think the discussion we have had has sort of you know tried to answer that question where I think more people are going to stay and more people are going to come back. So with that population increase, I think it's really positive going forward. Combine that with Perth being the most affordable capital city in Australia, and it all looks pretty good. Well, there you heard it, guys. That's 40 minutes of gold from Perth's number one valuer in the western suburbs. And that's certainly my opinion, but also the opinion of pretty much every bank that I work with. So I'd really like to thank you for your time, Cameron Kane of CBRE. Thanks for coming in, mate. And I reckon we'll have to have you in again for an update at some point to see just how much of an oracle you really are. Oh, <laughs> yeah, thanks, Trent. And yeah, it'll be interesting uh, six months. We'll see where the market's at and whether I've been uh, proven right, right or wrong. Thanks, so, mate. Cheers, mate. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!